Radio powered by the people. Wake up everybody, no more sleeping in bed. Welcome to KPFK's Morning Mix Radio Magazine. Coming up is Voices from the Front Lines with Eric Mann. This is Eric Mann. You're on Voices from the Front Lines. Wake up and smell the revolution. So good morning, everybody. This is Eric Mann. I'm the host of Voices from the Frontlines, your national movement-building show. Wake up and smell the revolution. Today, we're going to start the show with headlines from Amy Goodman. Then, I'll be having a conversation with Vic Jaramie and his new film about the ongoing Armenian genocide called Motherland. After that, I may be singing... Lean On Me by Bill Withers, singing by myself. I have a review of a film I really like called Ali, Fear Eats the Soul. And finally, I'll be talking with Channing Martinez about our terrific oncoming this Thursday night at 7, film showing of Haskell Wexler's classic documentary, Bus Riders Union. Long show, but we'll do it all in an hour, so... Drink your coffee, jump up and down, and let's enjoy the show. Let's hear it from Amy Goodman. Welcome to Democracy Now!, democracynow.org, The War and Peace Report. I'm Amy Goodman. In northern Mexico, more than three dozen asylum seekers at an immigration detention center in the border city of Ciudad Juarez have died in a fire that broke out overnight at the facility near the Santa Fe International Bridge in El Paso, Texas. At least 39 people are dead, 29 others injured, most of them Venezuelan. Multiple news outlets, including La Jornada, report the fire broke out after officials with Mexico's National Migration. Institute began cracking down on migrants earlier in the day. This comes just two weeks after hundreds of asylum seekers, mostly from Venezuela, were blocked by barbed wire and riot police as they tried to cross from Juarez into El Paso, Texas, to apply for relief. The deaths in Mexico come just hours after the United Nations High Commissioner for Refugees urged the Biden administration not to adopt a proposed anti-asylum rule that would deny claims made by refugees who lack, quote, documents sufficient for lawful admission, unquote. In a statement, the U.N. Refugee Agency said the regulation would restrict the fundamental human rights to seek asylum, adding, quote, UNHCR is particularly concerned that this would lead to cases of refoulement, the forced return of people to situations where their lives and safety would be at risk, which is prohibited under international law, unquote. Nashville, Tennessee, is mourning after six people were killed in a shooting Monday at a private Christian elementary school. All three students shot and killed were nine years old. They were identified as Evelyn Dickhouse, Hallie Scruggs, and William Kinney. 
The adults killed in the shooting were identified as Catherine Kuntz, the head of the school, Cynthia Peake, a substitute teacher, and the custodian, Mike Hill. He'd worked at the school for 13 years. Police say the shooter was armed with two assault-style weapons and a handgun and shot their way through a side door to enter the school before being killed by police. Officials say the shooter was a former student at the school and had written a manifesto laying out plans for the attack that included maps of the building. A Fox News report in Nashville about the shooting was interrupted live by Ashby Beasley, a gun control advocate and survivor of the July 4, 2022 mass shooting in Highland Park, Illinois. Aren't you guys tired of covering this? Aren't you guys tired of being here and having to cover all of these mass shootings? I'm from Highland Park, Illinois. My son and I survived a mass shooting over the summer. I am in Tennessee on a family vacation with my son, visiting my sister-in-law. I have been lobbying in D.C. since we survived a mass shooting in July. I have met with over 130 lawmakers. How is this still happening? How are our children still dying and why are we failing them? Gun violence is the number one killer of children and teens. It has overtaken cars. At the White House, President Biden once again called on Congress to pass an assault weapons ban. Later in the broadcast, we'll go to Nashville, Tennessee, for the latest. Israeli Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu has agreed to delay a push to overhaul and weaken Israel's judiciary until after the Knesset's Passover recess. Netanyahu made the announcement Monday after much of Israel was shut down by a general strike and following months of mass protests. As a concession to the far right, Netanyahu agreed to establish a new National Guard under the control of Itamar Ben-Gavir, Israel's ultra-nationalist national security minister who was convicted of racist incitement against Palestinians and supporting a terrorist group. While the general strike was called off after Netanyahu's announcement, protests continue. On Monday night, Israeli police fired water cannons and stun grenades to disperse protesters in Tel Aviv. We'll have more on Israel and Palestine after headlines. Man, you're on Voices from the Frontlines, your national movement building show. Wake up and smell the revolution. We're going to have a very interesting conversation with Vic Sharami about a very important film called Motherland. So right now we're going to start talking to Vic. So Vic, um, I've seen the trailer because of some problems with the, you know, Vimeo passwords, I just got the very beginning. But this is a film about the next Armenian genocide. So in that I know about the first one, and a lot of our listeners don't, why don't you take them back to the first Armenian genocide and explain what's happening now in your film Motherland and the specific anti-Armenian Pogrom genocide taking place in Artsakh. Sure. Uh, good morning. Uh, thank you, Eric. So first, I just want to say that um, a lot of observers are calling what's happening now continuation of the Armenian genocide. Right, right. Uh, Armenian genocide, which was finally recognized by uh, by the United States formally in tw- uh, 20, um, 2019 uh, by the House and the uh, the Senate, and then finally by President Biden in 2021, 
was basically it happened, it started in the late uh, 19th century when the Ottoman Empire was losing a lot of ground and um, uh, losing most of its empire. And their last uh, last resort was to make sure that their um, Armenian minority who were living in their ancestral uh, homeland occupied uh, were exterminated. So they too don't one day want to, uh, uh, you know, claim their independence. So it was a systematic um, uh, genocide that took place between some say between 1896, if you count some of the smaller massacres, um, but all the way to 1923. Of course, we we mark it on uh, in you know as 1915 because that's when the intellectuals and um, all the stakeholders were gathered up and arrested and most of them killed. But the Ottoman Empire, the Ottoman Turks, uh, managed to kill 1.5 million Armenians either through just um, assassination, killing, uh, mass graves, burning, or through starvation, dehydration, and famine. Um, and they managed to basically drive out the Armenia, about 2 million Armenians living in uh, the Ottoman Empire at the time. Of course, Armenians weren't the only victims. Uh, the, the Young Turk movement, unfortunately, there's a radio... There's a well. There's a network called the Young Turks, which is a whole other story. But they they wanted a pan-Turkic nation of only Muslims, so they went after all the minorities. They went after the Kurds, the Greeks, the Jews, Assyrians, um, uh, Yazdis. So many others were also killed. But we call it the Armenian Genocide because Armenians were the largest group that were um, that were exterminated. Uh, of course. Uh, about 33 nations. I mean, one thing is, you know, interesting is that, and terrible is that, um, you know, genocide is such a barbaric uh, solution to a problem. I mean, the Germans had a whole theory of space in which they said that they were a um, kind of oppressed people because they didn't have enough land. So they would take Slav land and they would just kill the Slavs and they believed that they had a right to occupy that space. Uh, I know that Turkey, as you said, when it was declining, still carried out a genocide at a time when the Ottoman Empire was falling apart, but still having the will to wipe out two million Armenians, right? To not try to negotiate something and one other point i wanted to make which i think you agree with is very nice of joe biden in 2022 or whatever but the people have been asking for the recognition of the genocide since since it began and the united states has not wanted to do that for fear of antagonizing the turks is that do you think that's fair yes that's a Pretty good assessment for years. Um, United States uh, was and still is to a degree placating to Turkey and Erdogan, um, our so-called NATO ally. All the last twenty plus years, Turkey has been anything but. And uh, but now, nonetheless, geopolitics, petropolitics um, dictate all of that. Uh, I want to make a couple of points. Uh, 
because you made a good point about the Germans. Germans were basically the mastermind of the Armenian genocide. It was the Germans who, if you know, during World War One, were allies with um, Turkey as well as World War Two. They were the ones that taught them that if you want to uh, exterminate a race, uh, take them away from their homes, weaken them. Most of them will just die from starvation and famine. And in fact, Hitler, when he was getting ready to uh, invade Poland uh, during a speech to his generals, uh, he wanted to reassure them that they would be okay killing people. He said, uh, who nowadays remembers of the extermination of the Armenians? So um, that's, you know, that and, and history repeats itself. Um, so uh, in terms of uh, President Biden recognizing the genocide formally, he sort of kind of had to. And, you know, just for f- full disclosure, I'm a Democrat, voted for President Biden. Um, he kind of had to because House and the Senate had overwhelmingly uh, recognized the genocide. The Senate unanimously recognized it and the House almost unanimously uh, but unfortunately, a week after recognizing the Armenian genocide, President Biden and Secretary Blinken decided to lift six, uh, Section 907 of the Freedom Act, uh, which prohibits uh, uh, giving any U.S. taxpayer money to any nation that's going to use it uh, on its neighbors or another nation. But nonetheless, they did that. Uh, and uh, they gave $100 million to Azerbaijan, the nation that just six months uh, prior to that had invaded the independent Republic of Artsakh and massacred over 5,000 Armenians in 44 days and occupied about 80% of the land. Uh, and again, they, they lifted Section 907 last year, too. Yeah, well, you know, I voted for Biden I voted for Obama, but I have no hope in them. I just vote for them so the other fascists don't come to power. Right. Um, I began to see the very nice trailer you did, very powerful. So why don't you tell us how the film comes to life, because it's a film. Mm-hmm. Make the film come to life and tell us about the film. Sure. Um, I did not go to Artsakh. They wouldn't allow me. At the time, what's left of Artsakh is basically um, secured to a degree. I I use the word secure very loosely by Russian peacekeepers. And so they they don't allow journalists and uh, activists or anyone like that. Uh, But I did go to Armenia several times uh, to make this film. Uh, I wanted the film to be not, first of all, I wanted to make the film for non-Armenian audiences. Uh, I wanted to make it for most of the world that does not, knows nothing about Artsakh. Some of them probably don't even know Armenia, which is fine. So I wanted to uh, make it from that perspective, uh, but also not just focus on the, the massacres, the 44 days of just uh, slaughter of Armenians, uh, beheadings and all of that, but also look at it uh, from, a, from a journalistic, from an investigative point of view, and look at the international community, uh, the lack of response, the agencies, UN, Council of Europe, European Union, OSCE, CSTO, uh, Human Rights Watch, Amnesty International, etc. But also look at media, uh, the, the apathy, the both-sidism, the toxic both-sidism and false balance, the lazy journalism, the caviar journalism. Uh, just look at all the elements as to why 
something like this could have happened in 2020, a barbaric slaughter of over 5,000 people by Azerbaijan, including beheading uh, uh, Armenians alive. They brought in uh, ISIS and mercenaries from Syria, Libya, and Pakistan to kill Armenians. They paid them $2,000 a month uh, and $100 bonuses uh, for every Armenian beheaded alive. This is all, you know, in interviews. Um, some of them who were captured were interviewed. It's in the film. Uh, it's, uh, you know, people can look it up themselves. This, how did this happen? So I look at it from many different angles. Uh, also, I interviewed uh, nine members of Congress uh, for the film. Uh, two of them I had to cut because the film was a little too long. But uh, I interviewed seven members of leading members of Congress for the film, including uh, Congressman Schiff, Senator Bob Menendez, Congresswoman Jackie Speer, uh, Congressman Brad Sherman, uh, and others uh, to get their perspective um, as uh, as our leaders uh, as to you know what is going on. What is this? Uh, what is this double standard? Um, so you're listening to the voice of Vic Jaramie, who has a new film out called Motherland. He also does his own show on KPFK and called The Blunt Post with Vic on KPFK 90.7. Um, Vic, let me ask you this. I mean, one of the things that is difficult for me is that my worldview sees the United States as the main danger in the world, just to tell you, and believes that the United States is trying to right now have a war with China, is trying to have a war with Russia and to wipe out Russia's sovereignty and China's sovereignty. Now, none of this justifies anything. It, it does not justify murder in Ukraine. It does not justify uh, genocide. But it's also interesting to me, because I watch shows like I, the one I like the most is the Bureau of French series about the French CIA. And what you see is the ugliness of the Assad forces, the anti-Assad forces, the CIA, <clears throat> M15 in Britain, all want to cut deals. You know, I mean, there's at no point is there a coherent morality to this. So that's not your responsibility to solve all the world's but tell me something about the power dynamics of Russia right now and some of the other forces uh, in Armenia and how are they playing out their roles? Well, that's a brilliant question um, and, and very valid. So basically, let me start by saying that what's happening now, uh, and, and by the way, Azerbaijan and Turkey's endgame wasn't to capture all of Artsakh. Their endgame is to capture southern part of Armenia, which will make it possible for Azerbaijan and Turkey to be connected by land. It would also open up Erdogan's ambitions of pan-Turkism. Um, what is happening now is uh, Armenia is in a chess game. And in this chess game, uh, Armenia is not allowed to play because it has nothing to play with. There are no natural resources. There's no oil, gas, uranium, all of that. And that chess game is played by uh, Azerbaijan, Turkey, uh, Russia, uh, United States, Israel, Iran, and the UK. Uh, and uh, so what are those roles? 
UK, as, as in my film, like Baroness Cox, who I interviewed, says um, that one of her colleagues said, um, uh, nations don't have any interest in other nations. They, wait, they just have oil interests. Uh, UK, uh, with uh, British Petroleum, has been settled in, in Baku for decades and decades. And they want to build a another pipeline, oil pipeline, to go through from Azerbaijan through Armenia to Turkey to the Mediterranean, which will be a smaller route than what they have now. Uh, and But that would mean that uh, they would have to sort of uh, invade southern part of Armenia. So UK's interest is just oil, basically. Uh, Azerbaijan and Turkey are basically one country, two states. And, you know, Aliyev and Erdogan, uh, self-professed brothers, want pan-Turkism. So that's that. Um, Russia, well, Russia is for its own interests. Russia's uh, Putin plays everybody. Um, right now, the irony, the, the hypocrisy of the world is uh, we're supposed to be boycotting Russian oil and gas, but we're buying it from Azerbaijan because Putin is laundering its oil through Azerbaijan. Got it. So Putin's interest oh, is there. Oh, beginner. So listeners out there, this is very fascinating. I just want you to know, in case you just came in, there are very thoughtful voices. Victor Ami. I want to make sure the name of the film is Motherland. And before you go further, I know it's a, it's a keep your train of thought. How do we get to see the film? Because I'm very interested in the film. I want you to know that. And I want to, that we're here to publicize it for the voices from the front lines, listeners on KPFK 90.7 FM. So Vic, hold it, get it to still the macro geographic, but how do we see your film? Sure. The film is available on Vimeo. So if you go to Vimeo, uh, and just do a search for Motherland, uh, it will come up. Uh, you can also go to the film's website, which is motherlanddoc.com, and there's a link to rent it. So it's motherlanddoc.com, uh, and there's a link uh, that you can purchase the film or you can rent the film, uh, or just go to Vimeo and do a search under Motherland Documentary. Okay, so you got the British so far, you have the Turkish so far, thanks for letting me make sure that people watch your film. So tell me about the Syrians. Well, there's there's Israel. Israel, Israel is um, Israel um, gets a great deal of its energy from Azerbaijan and in turn sells Azerbaijan uh, billions with a B worth of weapons. But the most important interest for Israel is uh, Azerbaijan allowing it to be on its soil to monitor Iran and to set up camp in case they need to strike. So everyone has their own sort of interests. Uh, Iran's interest is uh, Iran being sort of under embargo. Uh, the only way out of Iran into Europe is through Armenia. So, uh, and that's what they are sort of, that's what their interest is. And also that sort of slowly, a little bit, uh, helps China and India too, because their trade goes through uh, basically the old Silk Road through Iran and then to Armenia, into Georgia, and to the um, into Europe. So all these massive powers are playing this chess game. Uh, this tiny little nation of 2.9 million with nothing to offer in terms of natural resources is being sacrificed in the middle. And yet, uh, you know, somehow our leaders talk of human rights. 
and talk about democracy and such. And it's been so hard. Uh, it's 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 heartwarming to see how the United States and the world um, galvanized around Ukraine as they should. But it's also heartbreaking that the same thing that happened to Ukraine happened to Artsakh Armenians and a year and a half prior to that, and no one even heard about it. Well, let me say one thing I'd like you to think about, because, you know, because I said on Voices from the Frontlines, we want different points of view. We want people who have a lot of passion. And uh, this is your life. This is your your point of view. I, I want you to just think about something and see if you think it's relevant. Um, here's an example. Uh, my point of view is that there is a serious problem of the United States encircling Russia. And there's a serious problem of the United States essentially interfering in the internal affairs of the Ukraine to point the Ukraine Ukrainians towards the Russians instead of others, including the Germans at one point, saying, let's let Russia breathe a little bit and let's asking um, the Ukraine to be more neutral. But here's the point. China has come in with a peace proposal. And <clears throat> it's not perfect. But they're calling for a ceasefire. They're calling for human rights uh, investigators. They have about a 13-point plan. And what's interesting is the United States said, China, stay the heck out of here. How dare you think you're a statesman? We don't accept any of your principles as good principles. Even though large numbers of people around the world are looking to China now as a peacemaker, because China is Russia's ally. But China is going in to tell Russia, you better, I'm trying to help you get out of this mess. So what I'm getting to is two questions. Do you think the United States has good intentions in the broader area, you know, of Turkey, let's just say Turkey and Armenia? Do you see China as a, as a diplomatic force have any possible positive role? Um, I think that... Uh... Self-interest is what rules all nations, period. Uh, first and foremost, uh, we can sort of do kumbaya and get on a platform behind, you know, a podium and say all these great things. At the end of the day, it's uh, self-interest that runs everything. I also think that, to your point, uh, United States, you know, so much for Biden saying, I'm not going to take U.S. to any wars. Uh, we're actually fighting a, a proxy war with Russia vis-a-vis yeah. vis -vis vis -vis Ukraine. So there you have it. $150 billion of aid to Ukraine so far. Uh, that's a war. That's that's yeah. my tax money. That's yours. That's going to there. Uh, again, I'm not saying we should or shouldn't. I'm just saying well, you got to look at reality. Um, in terms of China, uh, of course, you know, it's it's kind of a, uh, you know, this, this power struggle between China, Russia, uh, the U.S., and soon it will be India as well, is kind of like an alpha male uh, arm wrestle of who has more domination and control over world uh, diplomacy. The hypocrisy from the U.S. that I'm most um, disenchanted with is how we sort of pick and choose whose lives is more uh, important. Where are we going to intervene? Right. If we're not going to intervene, then we shouldn't intervene anywhere. If we are, then... Uh, why is it that uh, the, the people of Artsakh 
who've been victimized, who have lived on their land for millennia, millennia. There are cathedrals and churches and monasteries in Artsakh that, that were built in the fourth century. And yet Azerbaijan claims that it's their land, a nation that as our sovereign nation has been around since uh, 1991. The absurdity of it. And yet we have, we hear nothing but toxic both sideism from uh, Secretary Blinken uh, right. about this. Uh, as far as China, I think, uh, again, you know, it's U.S.'s way to uh, not allow China's influence to get any more than it already is. It's already a global force in economy and tech. Right. So it's it's kind of a, you know, it's a, it's a pull and push. I really want to see the film. I love the trailer. I think you're very open-minded as I am. You know, we're, we're all trying to figure this stuff out. I will say this, that there's also a human rights movement in the world that has to stand up against all forms of genocide as ruling it out as an instrument of war, which theoretically, you know, the uh, United Nations... The war They're crime. terrible. Human rights organizations are, from Human Rights Watch to Amnesty International to... Um, uh, the, the UN human rights uh, wing, just terrible, right. just terrible. They're playing, they're placating to the powerful. They're placating to where um, they are. And of course, we know the Azerbaijan laundromat. I mean, OCCRP exposed this. We know the 2.9 billion euros that was spent uh, within a few years, not too long ago, uh, to buy European politicians, uh, human rights organizations, policymakers, media organizations, Azerbaijan's strategic partnerships, quote unquote, with uh, New York Times, BBC, um, and CNN. Uh, it's it's, and I cover that in the film. Uh, I cover all of those, um, all the caviar diplomacy and the the Azerbaijan laundromat and how that works in Europe and all the shell companies and everything. You know, my film, knowing that it would be scrutinized, uh, everything is sourced and everything can be proven. And uh, uh, it uh, it basically lays it all out for you. And I'm, and I'm excited for you to see it. Well, I will, you know, and I'm excited to thank you for reaching out to me. So, uh, you know, he has a radio show, The Blunt Post. What time is it on? Oh, sorry. The Blunt Post with Vic is on uh, on Monday mornings at 8 a.m. Pacific time. Oh, good. So we're just next door neighbors. Um, we're on <laughs> at 8 a.m. Um, Vic, thanks a lot for reaching out. This has been great. Thank Have you. Looking out for each other. Folks, check out the film Motherland. It's definitely worth seeing. Vic is a cool guy. He's really uh, comes with a wealth of knowledge and passion. And there's got to be a united front against genocide in this world that we can't say this genocide's okay because, you know, our side did it and that's when it's not okay. Um, I want to learn more and I'm very excited about seeing the film. So, so awesome. tell the listeners one more time how they can listen to your film. And I want to talk to you about a possible screening, but we'll talk about that off the air, okay? So uh sure. been great to have you on the show. And this is the last thing. How can we once again have access to your film? Thank you. It's been good to be on the show. So the film is available on Vimeo. That's V-I-M-E-O. You and can just go to Vimeo. It doesn't require a code. 
No, you don't need to be a member or anything like that. You just go to Vimeo and you search Motherland Documentary. You'll come up. It was released last year. Uh, you can rent it there or you can purchase it. Right. Or if it's easier, you can go to the film's website, which is motherlanddoc.com, motherlanddoc.com. All right, Victor, I'm great to have you. We'll stay in touch with you, brother. And this is Eric Mann. You're on Voices from the Front Lines. You're Thanks, on Eric. Movement Building Show. Wake up and smell the revolution. Take care of yourself, Vic. Listen to the voice of reason. Words of wisdom have to be ushered. A better world has to be built. Listen to the voice of reason. Do, do, do. Do, 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 do. Do, 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 do. Do, 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 do. Doom, 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 doom. Doom, 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 doom. Sometimes in our lives we all have pain. We all have sorrow. But if we are wise, we know that there's Always tomorrow Lean on me When you're not strong And I'll be your friend I'll help you carry on For it won't be long Till I'm gonna need Somebody to lean on Please swallow your pride If I have things you need to borrow Oh no, no one can fill Those of your need That you won't let show You just call on brother when you need a hand, we all need somebody to lean on. I just might have a problem that you'll understand. We all need somebody to lean on, lean on me. When you're not strong, and I'll be your friend. I'll help you carry on For it won't be long Till I'm gonna need Somebody to lean on You just call on me sister When you need a hand We all need somebody To lean on I just might have a problem that you'll understand. We all need somebody to lean on. If there is a load you have to bear that you can't carry. 
right up that road And I'll share your load If you just call me Come on and call me If you need a friend Come on and call me If you need a friend Come on and call me 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 If you need a friend Come on and call me Come on and call me Come on and call me Okay everybody, I'm going to do a review of a film called Ali Fear Eats the Soul and the way I found it is I went online and I said Roger Ebert's greatest hundred films. There's a lot of different reviewers. I find Roger Ebert the person whose perspective I agree with the most, actually. So based on that, I got his hundred films and I tried this film called Ali, Fear Eats the Soul. So let me tell you about it. I think it's very much worth your watching on HBO Max. So, Ali, Fear It's the Soul, is starring Bridget Mira and El Haidi Ben Salam. Ali, Fear It's the Soul, is German, is also Angst Essen Seel Audi, is a 1974 West German drama film written and directed by Rainer Werner Fassbinder terrific director, starring Bridget Mira and El Hadil Bansalam. The film won the International Federation of Film Critics Award for Best in Competition Movie and the prize of the Ecumenical Jury at the 1974 Cannes Film Festival. It's considered to be one of Fassbinder's most powerful works and is hailed by many as a masterpiece the film revolves around the romance that develops between Emmy, an elderly German woman, and Ali, a Moroccan migrant worker in post-war West Germany. Now, from the outset, the film is shocking. An elderly and not very attractive woman comes out of the rain into a Moroccan bar. She orders a Coke. Soon, Ali comes over to make conversation and they dance. Ali is young, athletic, very dark and handsome. Emmy is short, plump, and clearly not attractive. But who determines attraction? Emmy is surprisingly talkative and assertive and intelligent. Ali speaks good enough German to explain that he works in a mechanic shop where he's subjected to racist cruelties by the German body shop workers the systematic Nazi voices and expressions of dehumanization, animal, filthy smell, and the caricatures of Emmy as a whore show the actual consciousness of the white European working class under capitalism in Nazi Germany and Nazi U.S., even though this is 1968 after the Arab terror at the 1968 Olympics. Now, after complaints from her white women racist neighbors, the landlord orders Ali out of the apartment on the grounds that he does not allow sublets or borders. 
But Emmy spontaneously says, but he's my fiancé. We plan to get married. Neither of which he told Ali. But as bizarre it may seem, Ali is happy and agrees. Their marriage in a civil ceremony is simple and beautiful. But Emmy's family is racist and kicks in the TV when they come to the so-called wedding party. The film shows the stark reality, the ongoing, not just lingering, but unabashed racism of the white Germans, with only the landlord as the one decent person. When Emmy and Ali return from their vacation, the washerwomen begin to act nice to her. And yet, there's a new house cleaner, a foreigner from Herzegovina, who's a white European. And nonetheless, the three German washerwomen, including Emmy, isolate her because she comes in at a lower wage level, showing that in their fascist mind, and of course this in the United States as well, the endless creation of the outside, the other, is central to the mob fascist mentality. But eventually the pressure on Ali and Emmy gets too great. She hates the outright hatred and ostracism, and he hates being the well-behaved colonial subject who they hate anyway. Now, do they break apart permanently? Do they ever reconcile? And if so, under what circumstances? You'll have to find out. But the main lesson of the film is about the national subjugation by the Germans and Moroccans, Turks, Kurds, and anyone else who is not Aryan, and then turning on each other as well. The most painful subject is Ali, living six people in a room, working as an immigrant worker in Germany, that once held West African colonies and carried out genocide against them. He's quiet, speaks in short sentences, loves Emmy, but in Germany he's less than human. How he navigates that pain in the most subtle and ongoing ways is the central story. In a related story, sometimes in the early 1980s, I was invited to speak to the Transnational Information Exchange as a featured panelist to talk about the UAW Labor Community Strategy Center and our Black Latino Alliance to defeat GM. This was in Frankfurt, Germany. I went with Leanne Hurstman, my wife, and a longtime UAW militant herself. Now, the white Germans loved the story of the victory and how we took on General Motors and talked about reaching out to the community, admitting they had not done enough. But they were thinking again of the white German community. For them, there were no racial problems. But Leanne, the organizer that she is, came up to me and said, your talk has energized the Turk and Kurd workers who feel that they are mistreated by and discriminated against their white German fellow workers. Now, we were able to push that conversation into the center of the conversation. Imagine the Germans saying, we have no racial problems. Well, when I was there, I could feel their anti-Semitism against me. Now, Fastbinder exposes the racism, misogyny, and cascading hatreds inside German society. He also shows that love comes in forms that society is often threatened by and imposes the worst punishments on the heretics. Ali and Emmy are brave, reminding me of the film Loving, about Richard and Mildred Loving, a white and black couple from Virginia who challenged the U.S. 
anti-intermarriage law and who lived in fear and courage so much of their lives. The film is small, slow, and powerful. Check it out on HBO Max. So hey everybody, this is Eric Mann, and I'm here with Channing Martinez, and we're going to tell you about two events that the Strategy and Soul Movement Center is carrying out. Now we're finally ready to do monthly programming, and we're making a commitment that once a month, towards the end of the month, there'll be something cool for you to do that's political, that has to do with books and films and organizing. So this Thursday night, today's Tuesday, Thursday night, March 30th, at the Strategy and Soul Movement Center, with tickets available at the strategycenter.org, there's going to be this amazing film showing of Haskell Wexler's Bus Riders Union, one of the finest documentaries ever made. Yeah, it's made around our work and a movement that's trying to win changes in people's lives right now, such as free public transportation and a first-class system and no police on the buses and trains, 500 community conductors, stopping the black codes, uh, zero emission buses and two million new, uh, two million hours of bus service because the buses don't come. So that's on the thirtieth. We have about seventy tickets sold, which for us is pretty good, but we need a hundred. So for thirty of you out there, go on the strategycenter.org, get a ticket. And some people have been very nice enough to get a ticket for other people. So please do that. That's number one. Second thing is on April 22nd and 23rd, which is a Saturday and Sunday, we're going to be at... L.A. Times Festival of Books. Well, tell them, Channing. Uh, so on Earth Day, April 22nd and then April 23rd, the Strategy Center for the first time in history, actually, um, is going to be joining the L.A. Times Festival of Books. Um, and we'll be exhibiting our bookstore, the Strategy and Soul Bookstore. I'm excited about it. I mean, I've seen bookstores at different festivals, and it really is exciting to see books become a big pop, uh, part of popular culture. And so we're trying to insert revolutionary culture into that. Well, our booth number is 192. My fear is getting lost. I mean, I'm picturing millions of people coming and we got our little booth. Hey, hey, know us? We're the strategy center. People go, where's the book about self-fulfillment after 40? Where's the book about losing weight on the kale diet? And I'm going, no, 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 no. This is about playbook for progressives. This is about uh, how Europe undeveloped Africa. So we need your help in this way. We're going to have a really good team headed up by Akuna Uka. And our booth is 192. We've got to find out where that is. But we'd like you to come as friends of the Strategy Center and to purchase when you get there a BRU shirt. So you can walk around. We're all going to be in those BRU shirts. Walking around to people and say, hey, do you know about Playbook for Aggressives? Do you know about Eric's book? Uh, Katrina's Legacy, or you know about Eric's book, Dispatches from Durban. 
do you know about Patrice Cohen's book, When They Call You a Terrorist? We have, you know, 30 or 40 great titles there. But more importantly, will you help us build the Strategy and Soul bookstore into enough of a force that every year when we go, more and more people will see us and come? So what do you think? Uh, my, uh, I'm sorry, back to the booth number. Uh, my sense from looking at the map and remembering in my head is that our booth is along that corridor that is right at the USC Expo Station. So when you get off that station and you see the entrance to USC and you walk down that corridor, we're right there. Which is perfect, obviously, because we're the bus riders union and we want um, transit-dependent folks to come see our booth. Right. Um, and, sure. you know, y- y- your fear is really fulfilled. I mean... I've been. I haven't been there in ten years, so it's been quite some time. But even ten years ago, the festival of books. I mean, you're talking thousands and tens of thousands of people who are just interested in books. You know, to be quite honest, half of them probably don't read. Let's just be quite honest, right? Um, but they're going there because it's a really great um, festival, and they're trying to expose their kids to all these books. And so, yes. There's going to be a lot of things from, like, how do you do a kale diet, right, to how do you do anything, right? Um, and so it is a real possibility that we can get lost there. But I think the exciting thing about this is post-2020 and post-winning uh, the defund in the L.A. School Police Department, right, anyone who we're looking for that is going to that festival is definitely going to be looking for us. Yeah, I mean, I think that... You know, I'm doing a book called uh, I Saw a Revolution with My Own Eyes. And the strategy center is still trying to bring revolutionary politics into South Central, into L.A. So specifically you, you know, if you go and say, I'm going to go to the strategy center bus rides union booth, number 192. I'm going to have a, I'll go get a T-shirt. Then I'll walk around and say to people at the other stores, you know, have you know about these bookstores? Because they have really, really good books. Black Reconstruction in America. Um, I'm trying to get the Caliban and the Witch by Sylvia Federici. I think we'll have it in, the, in by enough time. You know, if you're a radical feminist, if you're an anti-imperialist, if you like poetry, there's Audrey Lord. You know, there's The Black Woman by Tony K. Bambara. We're going to have a broad selection of black, third world feminist books but here's the thing help us build strategy and soul books as something where people at the uh, LA Times book fair say oh yeah that, that place was hopping you know people were going so comparably why don't you talk about what we're trying to get done for the Thursday night film fest uh, yeah Thursday night March 30th at 7 p.m. and you can go to www.thestrategycenter.org right now and our last three posts are all about the film showing because we're really excited about this film showing um and it's the showing of the bus rising union documentary um as we mentioned and uh it is directed by haskell wexler it was academy nominated and the main thing is that we already have 65 to 70 tickets sold and there's some really good people coming to the film showing, right? I mean, LA, Los Angeles for All, which I know a lot of you guys have been involved in. I saw you yesterday at our People's Assembly. You know, they bought 10 tickets, right? 
Inner City Struggle bought seven tickets. Uh, South LA Cafe bought 14 tickets, right? And so we're trying to get groupings of folks to purchase tickets, to be in that room, to hear and participate in what is really the next iteration of the culture of bus riders that we're trying to build to stand up against anti-black policies. And finally, you know, in terms of institution building, you know, Cinemark theaters are very good. They're in Baldwin Hills, and they run a lot of good black films. The problem is they have to make money. They have to sell 250 tickets, so they would lean towards popular black films with black characters. But interestingly, that the Pan-African Film Festival, when it, after it's done its February run, their members come to the Strategy and Soul Film Theater to see the very films that they couldn't see at Cinemark. So if you care about the creation of a really high-end film theater in South Central Los Angeles, buy a ticket, buy five tickets, come, but the, all the extra tickets will be used by community people. But it'll be a very cool thing to do. Join us. We'll have Patrice Cullors, one of the founders of Black Lives Matter, Leanne Hurst Mann, one of the founders of the Strategy Center, Channing Martinez. We'll have Barbara Lott Holland, who's going to talk about from a bus rider to the associate director. We're going to have Julian Lamb, who's going to be very charming and welcome you into the theater. And Eric Mann's going to talk about the whole history of the BRU, if you can imagine, from 1966 to the present. And then, yeah, we're going to have food afterwards and you're going to hang around and meet some of the coolest people. So go online at thestrategycenter.org. Please get tickets and send an email to Eric at Voices from the Frontlines and say, I'll be there at the LA Times Book Festival, Saturday the 22nd and Sunday the 23rd, early in the morning till late at night. I think it's about 10 to 6.30. That's right. So come on, folks. If your voice is listeners, show up. Show up at Strategy and Soul. Show up at USC and help our work. Thank you for listening to Voices from the Frontlines, your movement-building show. All the links from this show can be found on www.voicesfromthefrontlines.com. As always, we want to hear from you. Send us an email today at eric at voicesfromthefrontlines.com or channing at thestrategycenter.org. We need your help in building up the Voices from the Frontlines podcast. Go onto our website or to your favorite podcasting site right now. Make sure you like each show, leave a comment on each show, and send it to 10 friends of yours and tell them to sign up for Voices from the Frontlines and tune in next week on Tuesday at 8 a.m. on kpfk.org. Never gets old. We always love you. All power to the people.
machines must end. The other factories must close. A ticking time bomb must be diffused. And the dark of peace must reign. Racial venom is like a social dynamite. Venom is like a social dynamite. It is like a revival for Perias syndrome. A syndrome of death and destruction. This is the voice of consent. A voice of social redemption. An eye for an eye makes the world blind. Reconciliation and reconstruction is like a dark cloud. A giving way to the blue sky. Humankind must put an end to war. Or war will put an end to humankind. Africa and the world cannot afford itself pity if something is not worth living for, it is not worth dying for. Yes, this is the voice of reason in search of liberty eternal. The Car Show has aired on KPFK since 1973. And perhaps you have a car that's been sitting in your driveway since 1973 or 1993. Or maybe you're still driving it, but it's time to say goodbye. Get rid of that thing and help KPFK at the same time. Your donation of your old car gets it out of your life and helps KPFK as a tax-deductible donation. And not just cars. Trucks, boats, and motorcycles are also welcome. It's easy. Just call 877-KPFK-AUTO and we'll handle all the details. Let your old car help KPFK. People are talking and they are talking about the Global Village. Midday musical trip around the globe. A vacation through audio. It's movement music. A musical adventure. The Global Village with Gary Baca. On Tuesdays, 11 a.m. to 1 p.m. at KPFK 90.7 FM, Los Angeles. Los Angeles.